welcome to the Real Life Church Podcast. Here at Real Life, we exist to make disciples of Jesus who are known by love. We hope you enjoy the message. Pastors are awesome. Why don't you take a moment to let your pastors know how awesome you think they are. You guys look, turn around and look. Don't, don't be shy. That's important. I'll try to be historically accurate, theologically sound. You're asking a lot. I do appreciate everybody coming out to celebrate my eight years of leaving the pastorate here. That's very kind of you. I'm honored today. Appreciate the standing ovation. What a joy it is to be the house of the Lord and to be together. Um, I want to be mindful of the time uh, this morning. I am excited that we don't have to, I don't have to argue with my wife about where to eat lunch today. They've already solved that problem for us. So our marriage at least is safe for another few hours. And I'm honored to, uh, to have Marcia here today with me, and um, yeah. <clears throat> Sanctuary looks beautiful, man. It's good. You guys are, it's just exciting. Every time I'm here, uh, something's different. And um, Jenny, you know, difference good, Jenny. Isn't that what you, isn't that what I, no. and uh I'm trying to be careful here because my mind's going in about 3,000 different directions. I'm trying to be like, is it, it was the guy named Bryce, the long-haired, what was Bryson. Bryson's just chill. He's like, yeah. Um, I'm trying to be like Bryson. It's just not working out too well. No, listen, guys, it's great to be here this morning. Um, Marsha and I are honored uh, to be able to be, to be here at Real Life, um, our home church, and uh, it's such a privilege to ha- having the opportunity to share with you guys. But I do want to just speak um, to R.C. and Jenny for a moment in your presence. Because I'm so thankful that God gives us shepherds. And I know that shepherding is not easy. How many of you realize that shepherds don't have good reputations? There's a reason why Jesus stood up during the feast And in the presence of people who had come from all over, religious Jews who had come all over to the temple to worship the Lord for the feast, it was there in the midst of a bunch of shepherds. I'm talking about religious shepherds. That Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And there's a reason why Jesus had to qualify himself as the good shepherd. Not just because he's fulfilling prophecy and those kinds of things, but shepherds didn't have good reputations at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and all those shepherds who have come before me are what? Thieves and robbers. And thieves and robbers come to do what? I know we've been trying to blame the devil for things Jesus was talking about to shepherds for you, but, you know, stay with me, right? And the thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, but I have come. Good shepherds come. The good shepherd came. 
that you and I may have life and life more abundantly. And one of the things I want to say to you this morning before I get into the message today is that any, number one, shepherds have to become good. And it takes a long time for shepherds to become good shepherds. And for those of you that have stuck around to watch the metamorphosis of these good shepherds, I want to say thank you. Because shepherds are formed by the spirit of the good shepherd and by the communities that will be patient with them. It's a two-way streak, isn't it, Wade? I can remember at 27 years old, I'm only 28 now, it's just been two years ago, nah, one year ago. I can remember at 27 years old, sitting in um, the first board meeting I was in, I was the youngest person in the room, by far. And, um, and I remember saying a couple of dumb things. One of the things um, that I said was, you really have no reason to trust me. I want to earn your trust. And that sounds valiant, but the reality is, is you can't build community if you're not willing to, to extend trust. And I want to say to, because to, some, um, some of those elders, uh, most of those elders are still a part of this community. I want to say thank you for that. Regardless of your role or function or title, thank you for that. One of the things that I want to, um, to say to you, Jenny, R.C., is this. Um, you're good shepherds. And here's how we know that you're good shepherds. Because good shepherds lay down their life for the sheep. Good shepherds know their sheep's voice. And the sheep knows their voice. And good shepherds come that others may have life. And life abundantly. And really that's all any of us that have the privilege and the distinct curse. <laughs> of being called pastors. Shepherds. All we can try to do is emulate the good shepherd and trust. Um, as we've been singing about. And declaring all day, even when we don't see it, he's working. How many of you know you can rest because he's working? We can rest because he's working. And I just want to say to you guys, I love you. Man, keep fighting the good fight of faith. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep changing things. And... Um, and I know your heart is to be even better shepherds for his sake. Come on, do you love them? Amen. It's good to see Pastors Dennis and Amanda Lamb here this morning. Bless you guys. That was kind of a, a surprise. I'm like, they're looking at me like, what are you doing here? And I'm looking at him like, well, what are y'all doing here? But it's good to see you all. And um, y'all ready to get into the word? So I'm not oblivious to what you guys have been talking about. I, I started watching some video, 
you know, you got to get a game plan. If you're going to if you're going to have a good game plan, you got to watch what the team's doing. You got to watch their practice tape and those kind of no, donkey mission. I'm like, what are they talking about? Donkey mission, donkey mission, right? So I haven't I haven't watched everything, but I do understand that you got to, as guys have been in this series um, called Donkey Mission, and basically the 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 crux of the 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 messages this series has really looked at, I guess you could say, the life and the call of King Saul, am I right? And how really God used um, some lost donkeys in an attempt to retrieve these lost donkeys it was a means of Saul coming into an understanding of his, of his own mission with God. And sometimes we give... Saul a pretty, pretty bad rep, and we understand that Saul didn't seem to finish very well. At the same time, we can't overlook the reality that God loves Saul, that God called Saul. We often call Saul, when we're trying to be theologically sound, the people's choice. We think maybe of David as God's choice. How many of you know that David wasn't... Um, David, David had some issues. <laughs> I think one of the things that David learned, we, see, we hear it in David's cry, take not your spirit from me, God, was that he had witnessed what it looked like for a man of God to choose to live in such a way that where once the Spirit of God dwelled, now tormenting spirits dwelled. And David's repenting, created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. And he said, and take not your presence from me. I did a turn to Psalm 147 this morning. And I'm trying to tie this thing in. I'm trying to be a part of the series. But I'm warning you, I'm taking it in totally different directions. Totally different direction because as I was thinking about donkey mission, I, I started thinking about how often donkeys are used in Scripture. Like, you know, sometimes to, to give a message to people. <laughs> but oftentimes to transport things or to transport people. And I've been reading... Uh, Recently, I've been spending a lot of time reading the book of Genesis, actually very slowly, just kind of in devotional times, uh, reading it very slowly. And, and to my surprise, I, you know, I, I've read these texts over and over again before, but to my surprise, donkeys keep showing up. And I'm like, man, I might as well get with the program here that we're all on a donkey mission. Can somebody say amen? So I was trying to think of what do I call this because... I like to pretend like I'm creative and I'm really not creative. I spend the majority of my time, uh, at least, well, pretty much every day of the week, with a bunch of 18 to 25-year-olds. I'm the chair of the Christian Ministries Department at Emmanuel University. Um, so I teach classes there, courses there in Christian ministries, Bible theology, ministry classes, those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, at going on 50, right, 
I spend the majority of my time with 18 to 25-year-olds. That says a lot about me, doesn't it? I have a hard time growing up, but I get made fun of all the time because I have dad jokes ooze out of me. And if you don't know this, dads should know this, but dad jokes aren't cool. But I know that as a dad. I just can't help it. It just comes up and flows out. It's an anointing on my life. And so I'm constantly reminded by students. Um, you know, both of my children are out of the house now. Gabe is a freshman at Berry College in Rome, Georgia, which is about three and a half hours from where we live. And he's a double major. He's majoring in psychology and he's majoring in biology and he's getting a minor in chemistry. At least that's the plan as of right now. And he's an NCAA college runner which is nuts. His running regime, uh, regiment rather, this week was 77 miles. And his coach will not let them run. This is kind of cool. The coach will not let them run on Sundays. Now, if you have plans to play pickleball or run or something, don't, there's no condemnation here. Uh, that's not what I'm getting at. But he had to accomplish seven, 77 miles between Monday and Saturday. And he did it. He FaceTimed us yesterday said, how are you doing? He said, I'm fatigued, and I feel nauseous, but the views were worth it. They, they actually ran up to the top of a mountain, and uh, so Gabe is, um, he just shakes his head at my dad jokes. You know, he's just, he doesn't even make a comment, and I know he's missing them. He might pretend like he doesn't miss his mom and dad, but I know he does. Reagan only lives a few miles away, but she is out of the house, and She's still about the only one that laughs at my dad jokes. But I felt the dad joke anointing coming upon me when I was trying to, to think about what to preach on and, and call this sermon because there's all, of these, there's all of these stories coming to my mind and there's all of these titles that are just flowing flowing like a fountain. Out of, like I, so I thought about I thought about like preaching this morning on Balaam's donkey and calling it like honky-tonk donkey talk. <laughs> and I thought, no, if I do that, I'm going to sound stupid. <laughs> you see where this is going. It's bad. I mean, it just comes, like, I didn't even have to think about that at all. It's just like one of the first things that came to, came to my mind. I'm like, well, I can't do that. So I thought about, well, I could... Um, I could talk about like how on this donkey mission that we're all on that God always calls us to park our donkey somewhere. And I thought about calling it park your donkey. You know, I could tell, tell, turn to your neighbor and tell him park your donkey. And I thought, no, that, that's, not, that's not where we should take this thing at all. Um, I thought about the fact that Jesus comes riding in, not on a horse, but on a donkey. And I thought, well, instead of Donkey Kong, I could preach on Donkey King. These don't get any better, do they? And the thing that you already know, if you know anything about me, is that all of that will probably come up somehow in this sermon. I thought about, for those of you that are not country music fans, and if you didn't understand the honky-tonk, donkey-talk thing, that you probably shouldn't understand that. 
For those of you that were like, grew up like I did as a teenager in the 90s, early 90s, I started to call this saddle up your donkeys. And I actually thought, nah, that's the worst one of them all. <laughs> so I've decided just to call this the ride of your life. Because whether you've realized it yet or not, that's the truth for all of us. If you've said yes to Jesus, you and I are on the ride of our life, the ride of our lives. How many of you love him today? Psalm 147, verses 1 through 11. Let's read together. This is one of the Ascension Psalms, one of the Hallelujah Psalms. If you're not aware of this, here comes the historical accuracy and theological part. If you're not aware of this, the book of Psalms is organized into five books. It has a preface and it has a, an epilogue. It has a prologue and an epilogue. Psalm 1 and 2 is actually the preface of the book of Psalms, but the book of Psalms is a book of books. It actually tells the history of Israel. That's why many of the Psalms in the middle of Psalms is, are Psalms of lament. Everybody with me? So when we get to this epilogue in the psalm, this, this uh, section after the fifth book as it's organized, we get to what we call the, the halal, the hallelujah psalms. All of these psalms that begin with praise the Lord. I wonder if somebody can say praise the Lord this morning. Praise the Lord. And these are psalms of great hope and expectation, psalms of ascent. Psalms about what it's like to come into the presence of God in His temple and worship. And we're going to look at the first half of this psalm this morning, reading what we call verses 1 through 11. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. Everybody say humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Next stanza. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight, everybody say his delight, is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Let's look at verse 7 through 11 again, verses 7 through 11. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rains for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. And then let's look at verse 10 and 11. This is our focus. 
His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Let's pray again quickly. Father, we open up our hearts. We open up. We ask you to help us open up the ears of our understanding that we can hear from you today. Lord, I thank you for these beautiful people, these saints of God, these men and women, young people, Lord, who love you, who are sharing in this mission with you. Lord, speak to us today that we may be faithful in this ride of our lives. We bless you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said a, bit, said a big amen. His delight, the psalmist says, is not in the strength of the horse. I was thinking about how oftentimes we approach life like a horse race rather than a donkey ride. And if you're like, if you're like me, and, and I, I believe most people in this room are attempting to live life on purpose, to live life with God's purpose. And if we're not careful, we think that what that means is as fast as we possibly can, we've got to get from point A to point B or from level A to level B, Mark. Or we, we, we've got this mindset that what God has called us to do is charge hell with a water pistol, right? And the time is so short that we've got to work while it is day, as Jesus would say, because night is coming when no one can work and we, we are flying around, you know, we're like a jockey on a horse, and we're whipping the horse. Get me there. Get me. And, and I'm here to tell you something. Some of you have already figured this out. This is a donkey ride, not a horse race. Been reading about Abraham's journey again. Been reading about... Jacob's journey again. Been reading about Joseph's journey again. Really been slowing down and reading again Moses' journey. And I want to go there in just a moment. Something beautiful happened. Azariah can whoop me later for this. But something beautiful happened while we were at the beginning of the service this morning. And I was looking at. At Josiah, worshiping the Lord. Joey always blesses me. I love you, Joey. You know I'm talking about you. Don't be trying to ignore me. And it's good to see Aunt Debbie and Uncle Arthur back there. Bless you guys. But something beautiful happened this morning at the beginning of service. Joey, Josiah was, was worshiping the Lord as he always is up here when I'm here. And, uh, and Azariah, his older brother, came and stood beside him. And as soon as... Josiah looked, he immediately began to wipe tears. Because his brother was home. I don't know how you held it together, Azariah. I'm over there like weeping, watching, watching this. And I know it got you. I could see it. And I love seeing that. And one of the things that, that, 
that I'm finding more and more. I want you to bear with me. I want you to listen in. I want you to lean in. Because the Bible is really a book about God restoring brothers. Over and over and over again. You know, we, we love to we love to to just rush past all the begots. But what the begots remind us of, as a matter of fact, I mean, just, again, I can't help it. It's the teacher in me. But the book of Genesis is really organized with genealogies. That's how it's structured. These are the generations of this. You see it in Genesis 2. This is the generation of the, the beginning of the origins of the heavens and the earth. And then all throughout Genesis, you have these segments that are organized with these are the generations of. But my point is, is that God comes in the person of Jesus Christ. He becomes a brother. He actually becomes a brother that's rejected by his own brothers. At one point, they were so frustrated with their brother Jesus that they tried to convince him to go to a feast because they knew the religious Jewish leaders were trying to kill him and they thought they could get rid of their brother. Most of you are aware that it was Jesus' own siblings who, who were some of the last to become disciples and actually believed that he was, in fact, Israel's Messiah. But when you open up the beginning of the Bible, you see this, this, um, this jealousy over and over again between Siblings, in particular between brothers. And the story of Cain and Abel, the stories of, of Noah's sons, right? The story of Jacob and Esau, the story of Joseph and his brothers. Are you with me today? Right? Even in, in Moses right now, I'm slowing down and reading through Moses. I'm thinking about how, how Aaron is three years older, but Moses, if you will, is kind of um, the one that God is raising up. And over and over again, we're seeing that God is a God of restoration. And what God is doing is he's, he's restoring a humanity. He's restoring a people. He's always reminding us story after story after story that we belong together, that, we, that we're really related to one another from the beginning. Amen. And the church, the community of faith, this people, this congregation, it's to be a mirror of that. It's to be, that's what we're living out in the earth. We're living out what God has done in and through Jesus Christ. That God has put a people back together again. It's one of the beauties in Pentecostal circles. It's one of the beauties of tongues. We, we heard a tongue this morning, right? And an interpretation, yes. And we're not going to get into the weeds of the theology behind that. But one of the things that, that, that I want us to think about is that we're all sons of Adam and daughters of Adam. The beginning of Matthew makes this very clear, doesn't it? The genealogy in Luke makes this clear. And most of us have been grafted in <laughs> to being called sons of Abraham. God's putting the pieces back together again. Peter wrote to the church and put it this way, God is forming for himself a spiritual house. And Peter writes to the church and says to the church, and you are those precious stones that God is fitly framing together. Are you here this morning? 
So I want us to think about what the ride of your life, what the ride of my life looks like up to this point. This donkey mission that we're all on. Not so much chasing donkeys, but we are riding one. Perhaps your donkey's parked somewhere right now, and you're trying to figure out <laughs> why has God got my, parky, my donkey parked here? Hopefully your donkey's not talking to you. But Moses finds himself on a donkey mission. Should I go to Exodus chapter 4? We're going to look at one verse. I'll unpack the story a little bit, but most of you are familiar with it. So Moses took his wife and his sons. Let that sink in for a moment. Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and they went back to the land of Egypt. Eighty years old, Moses is, in this point of his ride. Moses took his wife and his sons and, and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Sometimes that's what our ride looks like, isn't it? Precisely because we've been encountered by God, we find ourselves on the ride of our lives. For Moses, this wasn't a riding out of Egypt yet, was it? It was a riding into Egypt. But compared to most of our lives, Moses has lived a lifetime, hasn't he? He's 80 years old. The first 40 years in Egypt, the second 40 years in the wilderness, and you and I know the story. Where's the next 40 years going to be? If you want to know what life looks like on this side, for the majority of us, we're coming to realize that life on this side of what we call eternity is life in the wilderness. What is the ride for? Moses spends 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, the next 40 years in the wilderness. 80 years out of 120 years, two-thirds of his life is a wilderness. And what wasn't in a wilderness was in Egypt, in the midst of just idolatry and, and, and paganism and oppression. And this, this verse just grabbed my attention in a way that it never has as I was thinking about our time together this morning. That Moses took his wife and his sons. Bless you. And had them ride on a donkey. And they went back into the land of Egypt. How many of you realize that Moses feels like this is a death trap? But I love that, that last 
part of the verse or of the passage, and Moses took what? I came here to tell somebody today that even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil. For the Lord your God is with you. His rod and his staff comforts you. And even if you're surrounded by the enemy, he prepares a table for you, even in the presence of your enemy. And here's why. Because he's not just interested in nourishing you. He's a God who teaches us on this donkey ride to love our enemies. And he'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies because he wants you to feed your enemies. Come on, somebody. We're on the ride of our lives. This transformative ride. This ride where God is forming all of us in some way to be good shepherds. Real disciples. Moses saddles up a donkey. I told you I could get him in there. I told you. And he puts his wife and his sons, and here they go on their way to Egypt. And you and I, if you're familiar with the story, don't have time to unpack it, but this is not an easy ride. This is a showdown, isn't it? As a matter of fact, the very thing that, that Moses has been told by God, this will comfort you. Take that staff. Remember? Remember how God tests Moses? Moses is making every excuse he possibly can of why he can't ride this ride. And every excuse Moses makes, God graces him for. God has provision. But when Moses and Aaron get before Pharaoh and Pharaoh's wise men, they're a bit perplexed. Because every miracle that Moses and Aaron accomplishes with this staff that God does, Pharaoh and his wise men, his magicians, they're doing the same thing. If you know the story, eventually it got to a place to where Pharaoh's magicians said, all right, we're outmatched. But that didn't make that didn't make things any easier either. Pharaoh just becomes more and more irate. We know the stories of the plagues. But, and if we're not quickly, what we're trying to do is we're just trying to get Moses and the ancient Hebrew people across the waters of the Red Sea and into the wilderness and hopefully in the promised land. But no, 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 no. Can we just be pilgrims for a few minutes today? Where does the ride of your life have you? Where has your donkey mission taken you today? Perhaps God's working something in you. God's calling you. God's, God's told you. It's, you. You've got to saddle that donkey and you've got to go to the last place on this earth that you want to go. 
Or maybe you've got to face the last giant on this earth that you want to face. Come on, somebody. But can I remind you today that God's going to be who he's always been? And you don't ride this donkey alone. You don't face this giant alone. You don't run into this scary thing alone that his rod and his staff, they comfort you. God's given you in this darkness a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. And he's trustworthy today, church. Can you say amen? She's going to turn with me to John chapter 12. One of the things I appreciate so much about Moses is Moses is more afraid of not being in God's presence than he is as being in God's presence. Moses lives with a great fear of the Lord, a reverence of God. Moses lives with this, this desire to walk in obedience with God. Moses' life parallels, it foreshadows, you and I know this, but it foreshadows Israel's great Messiah, the world's great deliverer, Jesus. When Jesus says, come to me, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, he's calling you into a donkey mission. I know it sounds funny. And it is pretty funny. But he really is a donkey king. And you and I don't know what to do with a donkey king. We don't know what to do when God Almighty comes as a man and doesn't look very mighty at all. There's nothing about his appearance that gives anyone any reason to believe that he's a king at all. There's nothing about his lifestyle. There's nothing about his economic status that shouts, King! Certainly not King of kings and Lord of lords. He's a donkey king. And I love the way John's gospel puts this text this is obviously the week that Jesus is going to be arrested, placed on trial, and crucified. Gloriously resurrected. Verse 12 of chapter 12 in John's Gospel. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey 
and he sat on it. Just as it is written, and the writer of John's gospel quotes Zechariah 9 here, or part of it. Fear not. Everybody say that. Fear not. Fear not, daughter, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. I want you to pay very close attention to verse 16. Because the writer of John's gospel makes a comment here. He pulls the reader out of the storyline for a moment and he makes a comment. This is a commentary by the writer under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And this is what the writer of John's gospel says. His disciples, Jesus' disciples, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. These things had been written about him and had been done to him. Let's read that one more time. His disciples did not understand the things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, when he was glorified, when he came out of the tomb, when he appeared to over 500, when he ascended back to the Father, after the Holy Spirit had descended upon the disciples, then they began to make some sense of some things that their donkey ride. <laughs> things just don't add up sometimes, do they? And I came here to tell you this morning that there's much to be learned on this donkey mission. Because this is the ride of our lives. The writer of John's gospel says it wasn't until after these events took place that it began to click. Then they remembered. Can I just speak directly at you this morning and just tell you today, some of you walking through some things It looks farthest from what you thought it was going to look. You've tried to be obedient. You've attempted to be faithful. We've all blown it. Just look at your neighbor and tell him you blew it. <laughs> Point at me and everybody say, you've blown it. Make you feel better about yourself, right? We've all blown it. And right now, you might be in a place to where I don't know what's going on. This is not the ride I signed up for. When God called me, you might be saying, when I had my burning bush experience, I knew God called Moses to go to Egypt, but I didn't think I was going to have to go back to Egypt. Listen to me, some of you, God's speaking to you. Listen, there's some things, some, some, some dreams, some words from God that have been dead and dormant a long time, and God's been speaking, and he's saying, now's the time, now's the time, now's the time. Come on, somebody. I'm not ready to saddle up my donkey yet. Some of you are already riding, 
and you were happy where your donkey was parked. I've been thinking about where God has had me park my donkey over these 48 and a half years. Seriously. For about 18 years, my donkey was parked at 404 Fair Forest Drive. Where my mom and dad still live. And I've been thinking, I've been contemplating, I've been meditating, I've been prayerfully thinking about the formation of God in my life. When my donkey was parked. When that's where the ride of my life had me at that time. And the things that God was doing, sometimes in spite of me in my life. Just thinking about the next the next place, God said, I want you to park your donkey here. It happened to just be right down the street. At 202 Francis Street. And my donkey was only parked there for a couple of years. But it was during those years that I was youth pastor in a church. I was working in Velux. My youth group was my age. Isn't that right, Neil? We're all looking at, at one another thinking, I don't know what any of these people are thinking. What are we doing? Look at us today. What are we doing? Can I tell you what we're doing? We're riding the donkey. <laughs> I wonder if there's anybody in this place today that can look over your life and see the faithfulness of God. Times you wanted to throw in the towel. Times you did. And God said, go get on that donkey boy. The next place my donkey was parked was on Divis Street in Oklahoma City. At Divis Street, my wife loved playing musical houses. We lived in three different houses on the same street. We were college students serving God in ministry. I mean, like, having to trust God for every dime that came in. The most formational years of our lives. 1,200 miles away from everybody we knew on the planet. And that's where God had our donkey parked. On this ride. From 21 years old to 27 years old. And then all of a sudden God said, saddle up your donkey. And God parked our donkey on the corner of Cokesbury.
503 Cokesbury Road. We started pastoring this church. Church was on the same corner it had been on since 1927 when it was founded. Actually, 26 when it was first organized. I could stand between our home, the parsonage, and the church. And I could almost, if I stretched far enough, I could touch the church. And I could touch the parsonage. Grandma Webb would come to my house in the middle of the night. If you don't know who that is, talk to Wade and Robbie. She'd be trying to bring me something to eat. Two o'clock in the morning, knocking on the door. As well as about half the neighborhood. Because that was a beautiful, beautiful, hard, beautifully hard time. I'll never forget this. We, were, we started a food pantry. We started clothing ministry and things like that because we were in a prime spot for ministry. And I mean, the people in the neighborhood, they, they knew us. And I mean, I was knocking on doors. I was walking around that old Grendel Mill Village, knocking on doors, inviting people to church. I'll never forget, I, got, I came out of the, I came out of the uh, office. It was like a torture chamber under the sanctuary there. Came out of my office, <laughs> the dungeon and went to, uh, went to walk over to the parsonage, a whole two steps. You know, I'm at the door. And a guy hollered, hey, Pastor Jason. It was a guy from the community that I knew. And he said, can you, give me a, can you give me a ride? I said, sure, come on, hop in. I'll give you a ride. And he said, honestly, can you, can you give me some money? My baby needs some diapers. I said, I'll take you to the grocery store, and we'll buy your baby some diapers. And then we start driving towards the little food line up here. And. Finally, we got pulled up to the food line uh, parking lot, and he said, all right, Pastor Jason, I'm not going to lie to you. This is what he said. I promise you this is what it. He said, if you'll drive me, and he gave me the address. If, he said, if you'll drive me over here and buy me a crack rock, he said, I promise you I'll let you drive me straight to rehab afterwards. And I said, well, you know I'm not going to buy you a crack rock, but I will drive you straight to rehab, and I'll pay for it. And God parked my donkey next. Yes. We had outgrown that little corner. We had to do something. So God led us to relocate this church to here. It's a much longer story, but I'm looking at 1208, and I know what you're thinking. But I'm closer to parking my donkey in there <laughs> than you realize. God parked my donkey on Francis Street again, right across, same, same street, just across the street. What is it? 121. 121 Francis Street. For eight years, that's where our donkey was parked. How many of you realize these home addresses have nothing to do with the formation that is happening? What I'm trying to get you to do is I'm trying to get you to think about how faithful God has been with you on this ride. The ups, the downs, the hard times, the times you didn't think you could make it, the times you were close to death, and God pulled you through, the times that you had to walk through death of a loved one, the time that you had to bury somebody that you loved. But where has God been? 
the next place God had me park my donkey was in 11 Roxana Drive in 96 South Carolina. We kind of thought our donkey would be parked there a long time, and it wasn't very long, about three and a half years. I was working full-time with our denomination, with our conference. Hated it. I mean, loved every minute of it. So thankful for, for the journey. For the last four years, our donkey's been parked at 1108 Wildcat Bridge Road, Royston, Georgia. Surrounded by cows and chicken farms. And tomorrow morning at 8.30, I'll be standing in front of a class full of 18 to 25-year-olds. Thinking, God, why is my donkey parked here? I want to end with this. There's three things. Neil, come on, give the people hope. Somebody. I want to ask you a question today. What's the ride of your life teaching you? What's the ride of your life teaching you? The writer of Hebrews makes a statement that I want you to hear. I don't have it on the screen. Didn't think about using it until right now. The writer of Hebrews writes to the church. If you're familiar with, the, with what we call the book of Hebrews, you understand that this is a message to a mostly Jewish, seemingly Jewish Christian community that is struggling with remaining faithful because of what they're having to live in and live through. And the writer of Hebrews writes to this community of faith and he says this. He says, not even Joshua's generation has entered the Sabbath. Aren't you know the story? Moses dies. He's buried on Nebo, just overlooking the promised land. And God uses Joshua to, to cross the Jordan into the land that God had promised. But the writer of of Hebrews writes to the church and says not even Joshua's generation has entered into the Sabbath that awaits us all I came here to tell you something today to remind you of something some of you need to remember this today whether you've lived 40 years or 80 years even if you make it all the way to 120 this is preparation for what is to come. And let me tell you what God's teaching us on this ride of our lives. Number one, he's teaching us this. You don't grow up. You grow down into humility. You'll learn that as you walk with these good pastors that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble 
Come on, look at your neighbor and tell them, grow down. I know it sounds more fun to say grow up. Now look at your spouse. Go ahead. Look at your spouse and tell them, grow up. <laughs> I don't know if you've got these on the, on the screen or not, but number one, we grow down into humility. I'm going to say it again. Our God is a humble God. Our King is a donkey king. Our Savior is a foot-washing servant. And as we ride the ride of our lives, if we're yoked with Jesus, that's what we're being formed into. Number two, What's the ride of our lives teaching us? Number two, we learn to lose our desire for independence. And we learn dependence upon God. A place of desperation is not a bad place to be in, it's a place of miracles. It's a place where you either you either see how much God is truly a waymaker or it's a place where you find a grace and a peace to endure the storm. What are we learning on this ride of our lives? We're learning to grow down into humility. We're learning to throw away our desire for independence and just fall into His faithful, loving arms. A place where we realize I can't take another step. I can't breathe another breath without you. The third thing is this. Come on, I want you to stand with me all over the house today. Here's the third thing that we're learning on this ride of our lives. Come on, look at me just for a moment, please. Here's what we're learning. We're learning that we're being formed for forever. We're being formed for forever. We're being formed for forever. You know what that means? It means that what you're going through right now matters. It matters to God. It means what you're walking through right now, God's aware. God may deliver you in this moment. Or God may give you the courage to walk on this water. But make no mistake about it. On this side, we all have the same fate. But on this donkey ride, we're being formed 
for forever. The psalmist said this, his delight, his delight is not in the horse. I'm here to tell you today, his delight is not in what you've accomplished or haven't accomplished. The psalmist said his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. His delight is not in what you can or can't do, what you have or haven't done, what you should or should have done. The psalmist said his delight is in those who fear him. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but the psalmist defines what he means by those who fear him. In those who hope in his steadfast love. I don't know where your hope is today. But I can tell you on this ride, put your hope in his steadfast love. His steadfast love. Father, right now, you see every heart, every obstacle, every challenge that's represented in this room. God, there's some of us who hear you saying, it's time to settle down and settle in. Park your donkey here. Let me form and forge. Lord, there's some of us in this room today that We're not very excited about where the ride is taking us. Some of us that are a bit perplexed. Some of us that are a bit discouraged. Oh, but God, you remind us this morning in the Word that your delight is not in the strength of horses. But you delight, you take pleasure in those who hope in your steadfast love. This morning, I want to ask you to do something. If you're in this place, you say, Jason, I'm in a place in my journey where I need God's courage and I need God's strength and I need God's miraculous working power and I need His hope. I already see hands going up. Come on, if that's you, I want you to lift your hands. Come on, you know the presence of God has been with us all morning. Come on, even when you don't see it, He's working. You can rest today because, come on, lift those hands up. Lift those hands up. Come on, if you're standing beside somebody that's got a hand up, I want you to put a hand on them. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Father, right now you see us. Come on, I want you to pray for one another. I want you to pray for the people around you. Hallelujah. Lord, right now you see where we are. God, you know me. You know us. He gives strength to the weak this morning. He gives hope for the hopeless today. Come on, He gives beauty for ashes. Restores our soul. He lifts our head. I want you to stretch your hands towards your pastors this morning. I want the elders that are here to come this morning. If you're an elder or ministry leader, I want you to come and I want you to join. Join with us. Come on. wrestling with this word because I don't like to uh, I don't want to say thus saith the Lord unless I feel confident that it's the Lord speaking and this is not so much a thus saith the Lord specific because I've been praying for you guys this week and I've been praying over this service over and over again. And I just feel like I'd be disobedient if I didn't just make this proclamation to you and with your congregation. You're celebrating eight years. This is a season of new beginnings. This is a season where you're going to begin to see the fruit of your labor. That doesn't make it easy, by the way. You guys are going to be entering into a season of promise. But that's not less responsibility. It's more. And we all think we want greater things until we realize that with those greater things comes greater responsibility. And then we're asking God, why'd you part my donkey here? <laughs> this is a time of new beginnings.
of fruitfulness, of favor. God, you men, broken hearts. You reconcile and restore what's broken. everybody in this house to do something prophetic today. I believe it's a prophetic act. I'm just being obedient to what I sense the Lord is saying. And it makes me nervous to do this, to be quite honest with you, but I really sense the Lord is wanting us to do this. I want you to, everybody in this room, stretch your hands to R.C. and Jenny, and I want you to declare this. Peace. Be still. Come on, declare it again. Peace. Be still. One more time. Peace. Be still. A season of peace, a season of calmness. Not because there's not storms, but because you're yoked to the donkey king, to the suffering servant. You're yoked to the one whose burden is easy, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. See, Jenny, I want you just to make this declaration that God, I receive your peace. I receive your peace. Oh, God. We receive your peace today. Now, here's why. Here's why the Lord had us to do that. Because you can't give what you don't have. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall inherit the earth. God wants you to walk in this new season with your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That where you walk and where you move, you bring peace. You bring peace, not confusion, not disillusionment. You bring order to the chaos. And I hear the Lord saying, you've come to a place. To where you can walk in peace. Walk in peace. Father, do it in the name of Jesus. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news. Hey, Do it, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a mighty clap offering today.
Y'all hungry yet? I want to pray and bless the food, but I want to thank Pastor Jason for speaking to me while y'all listened. I told my wife, I said, you ain't going to believe what I wrote down. I started journaling lately. And by the way, if you don't do that, I highly recommend it. I wrote down in my journal today, Abba, I ask you for the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Lord, if there's any areas in my life where I have pride that's blinded me, I choose humility. Lord, help me learn to walk in humility. I mean, Jason, like all those three points were like, I told her, I said, the, the next one's the fear of the Lord because that's the only thing missing off my journal entry today. So. Love you, Jason. I'm so glad every one of you guys are here. Let's enjoy some food. Let's pray and bless the food, all right? Father, I love you. I love these people. Lord, thank you for everyone that's here today. God, I bless them. Father, I, I just want to announce the Lord's blessing over you today, okay? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you and give you his peace. Father, we bless this food. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. Lord, would you sit at the table and feast with us as we pour our affections on you in Jesus' name. For more information to give, or if you need prayer for anything at all, please visit reallifechurchsc.com.